0: Scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 through 22, it can be found in your pew Bible on page 11. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 through 22. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, enlighten us that we may see here in your word that you have revealed yourself to us, that you are a merciful and just, God, and that you love the world that you've created and before time began and ordained to save it through Jesus Christ, your son. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent the wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, The tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and he sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. You run a grueling marathon. And at the finish line, you utter to yourself between gasping breaths, never again. You tear your meniscus and you have to have knee surgery and say to yourself, never again. You get your two, uh, two of your front teeth knocked out at a Christian rock concert. And you have to have a titanium screw drilled into your mouth in order to put the false teeth in. And you say to yourself, never again. If that sounded personal, it's because it was. You go through nauseating chemo treatment. And your cancer is in remission. And you pray to yourself never again. You go through labor and you give birth to a full-grown baby human and you say to yourself, at least in that moment, (laughs) never again. Have you ever gone through something difficult or hard or frustrating and said to yourself those two words, never again? It could be even a positive thing. When I finished my last College level mathematics course, I skipped and jumped. I was like, woohoo, never again. <laughs> but actually, that's nothing like the promise God makes in our passage today. God is not somehow relieved after going through this predicament of, of a flood. He's not relieved now that he's been able to let out a little steam and and now that his tantrum is over, he makes a commitment to, you know, not do so again. Almost sort of like somebody who loses their cool and then afterwards says, oh, sorry, sorry, I I won't do that again. No, actually, if we look closely at this passage, this is God showing his love for the world that he created. That he is going to save through Jesus Christ, his son. And if there's one passage in the Bible that best describes God's love for the world that he created and how he sought to redeem it and did so through Jesus Christ, his son, it'd be John 3.16. And that's our theme this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You might be asking yourself, Carrie, how are you connecting John 3.16 to Genesis chapter 8? We'll get there. We have two points this morning. The first is the new creation. And the second is the promise of preservation. The first point covers the first 19 verses of this chapter. And the second covers that last section where Noah gives sacrifices and the Lord um, makes his covenant, his commitment. So let's begin with that first point, the new creation. I've hinted at this multiple times as we've approached this moment where the flood is now receding, and uh, that this is a, a, a precursor, a picture of, of a new creation happening. And because uh, it is that, it's not a surprise to find that a lot of the language here in Genesis chapter 8 Reflects the language of Genesis chapter one. In verse four, we're told that the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The verb "rest" it puns on Noah's name. If you remember, Noah was named by his father, and the promise that came along with, or the hope that came along with Noah's naming and his birth, was that he would give us rest, right? This is an expression of God's favorable verdict on the ordeal of judgment. Noah has prevailed over the waters and the satanic world of power. And Noah has now become the savior of his people. Verse 5 through 11, we see more of this continuing language that mirrors creation. The waters continuing to recede is an equivalent of day three of creation. Where God pulls the water back so to expose the land. Vegetation is seen again. Verse 9 through 12. We're told that the covering of the ark is removed. And this lets in daylight and provides a sight of the sky and the heavens. Bringing to mind day 1 and 4 of creation. Verse 14 through 18. The flights of the raven and the dove are a return of the birds in the sky on day 5 to the sky realm. Of day two. Verse 13 through 14, two verbs for dry are used. The second is used of dry land in Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, when God brings it forward from the waters. Verse 15 through 17, there's a reversal of embarkation. God commands them to move along the ground, these animals, to be fruitful and multiply. And of course, the same was said to the animals at creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, on day 6. And then in verse 18 and 19, as Noah's family gets off the ark and goes out once again on dry land, it mimics the arrival of humanity upon the earth following the creation of the animals on day 6. Yet also, this was a summons to the dead to come forth from the grave, If baptism is seen in the symbolism of the flood, it's symbolic of the resurrection of the saints. This, Noah and his family, his wife and his sons and his sons' wives, are the preserved remnant. A type of the overcomers who will inherit the new Jerusalem spoken of in the book of Revelation. When we look at the flood narrative, it's often very interesting to compare ancient Near Eastern stories that are legendary accounts of this very same event. An event that was so worldwide that other cultures had stories about it. And in the Mesopotamian flood story, if you read it, the gods are at the mercy of nature. The floods come and they're frightened. They're shaking in their boots. But what the biblical account tells us is that God governs nature. God is the one who purposely brought the flood as a judgment. God brought it to the exact level that he wanted to bring it. Caused the right amount of destruction that he wanted to cause. And the moment God wanted it to cease, it ceased. And the way that God wanted the floods to recede... He did it purposely. God is seen in this narrative of recreation to be all-powerful. To be the one who has brought the destruction purposefully. And the one who is bringing the new creation back into order purposefully. What we are seeing here is a new creation emerging, a type of the one that is to come. And we're seeing that God is sovereign over it, over its destruction and over its recreation. John Calvin said that it is God, quote, in whose power it lies to sustain this infinite mass of heaven and earth by his word. By is not alone sometimes to shake heaven with thunderbolts, to burn everything with lightnings, to kindle the air with flashes, sometimes to disturb it with various sorts of storms, and then at his pleasure to clear them away in a moment, to compel the sea, which by its height seems to threaten the earth with continual destruction, to hang as if in midair, sometimes to arouse it in a dreadful way with the tumultuous force of winds, sometimes with waves quieted to make it calm again. Belonging to this theme are the praises of God's power from the testimonies of nature. When we see God sovereign over bringing the flood, and we see God sovereign over bringing order back, and a reemerging of this new creation that's been washed and cleansed, it should fill our hearts with honor and reverence for this Almighty God who is so powerful and so wonderful, so strong, so mighty. And in the same breath, to understand that this is the God who came near to us in Jesus Christ. The God who brings storms and floods and earthquakes, the God who brings lightning, and snowstorms, and hail, and and local floods, the God who brings all these things of nature. You hear the thunder booming, and you, you think to yourself, this God is powerful, almighty. Yet this God died for me. It is the coupling of those things, a balance of those things, and always keeping in our mind those two things that should bring to our hearts wonder and thankfulness. There is no God like our God. One of the proofs that Jesus is divine is his power over nature by calming the sea. His power over nature by taking water and making it new wine. His power over nature by taking a little kid's sack lunch and feeding thousands. And his power over nature even by raising a man from the dead. What Calvin said of God, then of course, can also be applied to the Son of God, the one who has brought the final new creation, the one who prevailed over the waters of the wrath of God who crushed the head of the serpent to emerge the savior of his people and to bring final and consummate rest. The rest that Noah's name only hinted at, but never came to fruition. You see, the reason why God did not entirely destroy the world in this flood, and the reason why God preserved humanity by saving Noah and his family in this deluge, is because before time ever began a covenant of redemption was made between the persons of the Trinity and this new creation emerging from the old is meant to point to the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son this reemerging of creation the flood waters receding dry ground coming forth animals And humans walking once again upon this ball of ground we call earth. Instead of being entirely wiped out, destroyed. So that we would not even have this moment in time to speak of what God did. It would simply be over. That did not happen even though God could have done that. In his justice. No one would have been wronged. But the reason why. God brings forth. Greenery again. God brings that dove. With the olive tree branch. In his mouth. Back to the ark. It's because God loves his creation. And those who have been made in his image. And God. God. Through a descendant of Noah, Jesus Christ, has come to bring the final recreation the new heavens and the new earth. Finally, we have this promise of preservation. The first task upon this new earth that Noah does, we read in verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Noah constructed an altar to the Lord. We can see this as a consecration of the new earth. A dedication that communicated that this new earth belongs to the Lord. Not that the first one didn't. And as a priest king, Noah, a type of the one to come, the second Adam... Consecrates his kingdom by offering sacrifices to the King of Kings. This is not the first time that sacrifices have shown up in the story, even in Genesis. Cain and Abel would bring their sacrifices, most likely, to an altar at the foot of the mountain that led to the Garden of Eden. And of these sacrifices, these clean animals and clean birds that we were read, we were told earlier, Noah brought on the ark for this purpose of sacrifice. We read that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, he time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. The idiom that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma will be used often in Israelite tabernacle and temple worship, the sacrificial system in the future. It's not saying that the Lord has a nose and actually smells these sacrifices burning on the grill like we do, us men, when we like to gather around the grill outside uh, when we're cooking steak and burgers. (sighs) What it's saying is that the Lord took pleasure in the sacrifice, noting that it pleased Him that His finished recreation was consecrated to Him. And this picture of a new creation then comes full circle, For God now taking pleasure in what He has made means that this is the seventh day of the original creation. But the closing two verses also include a promise of preservation, the stabilizing of nature. What we're told is that when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in His heart these words, is that God is making a promise to Himself. Once again, God is not a man. He does not have a body like a man. He does not have a heart like we have hearts. But in Hebrew, the heart represents the inner person, the core most reality. And so when we read in the scripture that the Lord said to his heart, what it's saying is very much like what we're told about in the book of Hebrews, that God Sworn oath to himself. God makes a promise to himself. You see, when we when we make an oath, oftentimes we do this to something that is greater than ourselves. Of course, there are inappropriate oaths to make, inappropriate ones to make. But there's an appeal to an authority when you make an oath, right? That's why some people say, I swear to... Although, I wouldn't advise doing that. Not lightly, at least. But if there's an appeal to authority, then who can God swear by? Because there is no greater authority than himself. And so he says to his heart, he swears by himself, he makes a promise to himself, the highest oath He can take. He said this in his heart. He pledges to never again act in this manner. And in Isaiah 54 verse 9 repeats this pledge. Speaking through the words of the prophet. Where it says, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not cross on the earth again. And in order to make this point clear, God gets more specific. Those things that He promises will continue are the primary area of humanity's existence agriculture, weather, and time. As long as the earth endures, these things will never cease. And you see, this covenant does not bestow the eternal kingdom, but is only a temporary arrangement of preservation. God's providential ordering of nature won't permit another catastrophe on the scale of the flood until the final judgment comes. And even in the final judgment, it will not be like the flood. The waters of the flood. He promises never again for the sake of the redemption that is to come. And to the true remaking and renewing of the heavens and the earth through His Son, Jesus Christ, to preserve creation. Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures sea time and harvest Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Now I've got to be honest with you. This is a moment and an opportunity for us to grasp what a great comfort this never again from God truly is. Because this past year might have been for many of us. Challenging and difficult, we experienced and are still experiencing the worldwide effects of a pandemic, an illness and a virus that's taken many lives, and even more so taking people out of businesses and jobs and changed the way we go in and out of grocery stores or how we order food from restaurants. I've got to be honest with you that in a very real sense we've seen turmoil, division and hardship, forest fires raging across the West Coast, political upheaval, riots, burning of buildings, the taking of lives. I've got to be honest with you, even this past year... There was a moment when we were saying we might have a meat shortage. We all experienced the toilet paper shortage. I had to borrow some rolls from the church. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) And in those moments, many of us might have had an opportunity to be anxious about what tomorrow would bring, to be anxious about whether we were going to get through this, to be anxious about whether we're going to have a, a, a food crisis because dairy products were being dumped down into to the ground and, and onions were going bad because they weren't buying them and selling them and, and, uh, and the meat packing facilities were having to shut down because COVID-19 was going through the workers and, and we were worried and we were anxious because we forgot. Because we forgot that our good, providential, caring Father had made a promise. Never again. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that there won't be seasons of hardship, that there won't be times of droughts or, or, or times of, of uh, famine. But God has promised to preserve his creation and nothing will stop that preservation. This creation will continue on as it is. There might be waves but God is holding it all together and he will hold it together until every single last of his chosen ones in Jesus Christ is redeemed. There is nothing that we may experience or see that could even begin to threaten the sovereignty, and the providence that God has over creation. He is holding this world in his hands. And that means, should mean, that the nightly news does not rule our minds Because whatever sensationalism they might try to throw at you, they forgot to cover that God is in control. And in this passage, Jesus is also prefigured in the sacrifice. Any sacrifice of the Old Testament that is accepted by God is accepted on the basis of the coming work. ...of Jesus Christ. From the beginning, mankind has required sacrifice... ...to be made right with God and to honor Him for who He is. Yet the author of the book of Hebrews tells us... ...that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats... ...to take away sins. And so even here in this moment... ...when we see that Noah builds an altar... ...and offers these clean animals, clean birds as a burnt offering to the lord it's not the full picture another type of sacrifices is needed that will bring about atonement and jesus christ is the only sacrifice that will atone and he was sacrificed once <clears throat> for all he is the one whom this world is preserved for The promise of the preservation of creation is made so that Christ can come and enter into the world and redeem it and his people from the curse. He lived, he died, he was raised again to life, he ascended to sit at the right hand of God. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And on that day when the final judgment comes, when all stand before God, when the wicked are cast into hell, and when all things are made new when we, the new humanity, purified of all sin and walking in our new resurrection bodies, enter into the new heavens and the new earth, something which only Noah saw a preview of, God will once again say on that day, never again. Except this time it will not be a temporary, interim arrangement. It will be set in stone. It will be a promise of the preservation of perfection. It will be eternity, blessed eternity, where we see Christ face to face and sin and evil are no more. Where we walk into the city of the new Jerusalem, robed in white, and we praise God and the Lamb throughout all eternity Have you ever gone through something difficult or hard
1: and said to yourself,
0: never again? That's not like the never again that God said in his word this morning. His never again is a for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that it would grant to us your grace. That we pray, Lord, we would be those who are seeking a city and a builder who is God. We pray, Lord, that we would trust in you, the Lord, who is all-powerful over all creation, In all nature, it is the one who has stepped into your creation and nature by putting on flesh, living and dying for us. We pray, Lord, that we would rest in the promise you've made of the preservation of creation. That you will hold together this world until that final judgment comes. That we would rest in that promise. And we pray, Lord, that we would look to Jesus Christ, who is our once and only sacrifice. And we now turn to his table. Where his blood and body are represented. Not as a representation of that sacrifice, but as a remembrance of it. That through faith we would be told and reminded that in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. There is forgiveness. There is redemption. In Christ, we are inheritors of the world to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.